Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. From the long shadows under St. Paul's number one, along the slow, swirling darkness of the Mississippi, from the windswept shadows of Lower Town to the hollow emptiness of the Wabashaw Caves, welcome to a special edition of Cabin Country. Let's find the place where the wind moans down chimney stacks and the ravens watch from roofless lambs. Fill your coffee cup and move close to the fire as we join Bjorn and Fudd in a seasonal edition of Cabin Country. Well, welcome back to Cabin Country. Glad to have you again here as the evenings are cooling off a bit, Fudd. That's right. Favorite time of year, as I think it is for many people in Cabin Country. You bet the turn of the seasons. It's not 90 degrees and humid anymore, and kind of an about face. Yes, that's the way it goes here in Minnesota. We're... we're 90s and humid and just gasping for breath one day and and then all of a sudden bam it's just crisp and cool and ah oh, i want to be outside and, that's right that's right and listen to the drying leaves on the trees watching the sumac turn kind of red and all yeah. kinds of trees i don't know if it's a low water year or what the deal it seems like a lot of things are already changing color and yeah and we're losing leaves right and left around the the great city of St. Paul and the Oakdale Studios, so autumn is certainly upon us. I know some people get kind of a little nervous when they see leaves starting to fall. Oh, no, that means winter is yeah. just around the corner. Look at all the acorns down already. It's <laughs> going to be a terrible winter. Oh, my goodness. Or uh, how about those uh, alleged indications of how harsh the winter is going to be, such as the bushier, the squirrel's tail. Right. Have you right. Ever, heard, ever heard that one? I have heard that, and a personal favorite of mine is the... Seasonal appearance of the woolly bear caterpillars. Oh, yes. Crossing all the tar <laughs> right. you were walking on. And, and uh, they're black and brown. And depending on how much of one or the other color you're seeing, it's an indicator of just how long and harsh the winter is going to be. Right. You know, we'll have to ask our, our friend, Stan Tequila, right. just how much weight. Stan, what's going on with to, the woolly bear? What's to, that to all give about? That. Right. Without a doubt. But I do like, I was, in fact, uh, in one of my favorite sort of do-it-yourself stores today. And Absolutely. Of course, they've, a couple of weeks ago, started putting the Halloween, Halloween stuff right out. The corner. And uh, I was out there today getting, getting a couple of sheet metal screws for there we a go. little project. I had to repair a door that my wife's been asking me to fix for quite some time now. Sure. But I got those, and I couldn't just spend 97 cents. Uh, <laughs> so I thought, well, let's look at feel good about look that, through the Halloween stuff. I didn't didn't pick anything Nothing up yet. yet but Nothing yet. I sure liked looking at it. Sizing things up. I was doing something very similar last weekend and in that giant box store, kind of going, wow, the Halloween material is beginning to appear. And I, I caught myself walking up to a life-size lycanthrope. There was a werewolf oh standing there. Oh, yeah. Press this button. So I did, and then, of course, stuck my hand in its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's... A senior in high school, cutting. Oh my gosh, Dad! <laughs> I just wanted to see. It's not. Yeah, he didn't bite me. I just wanted to see if it would draw blood. Come on, nothing at all. But made a lot of good noises, and the eyes light up. Thought, Ooh, oh, that's kind of cool. Those are those are cool. I always look at those, and then I look down at the price sticker and think, well, maybe not. Someone else can enjoy that. Or knowing me, you know, I have a long history of wanting to do my own Halloween sure. effects or haunted houses and. With my brothers, and so I probably would figure out, how can I make one of these uh, my own? Even better. 
Yes, even right. better. That's why we thought we'd do a special Halloween episode. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we did a little looking around, and, and we thought, by gad, why not? It seems like a good time for Cabin Country to set down the crappie rods and put down the coffee mug for a second or two, and, and after, of course, a refill and a hearty, hearty right. sip, and then just take a few moments to salute our favorite holiday, or one of them, Halloween fudge. Yes. So that said, we're going to take a moment here and acknowledge the strange often forgotten world of Cabin Country's spookier side. All right, I like uh, it. I like the sound of it. A bit of a tale tonight that uh, is kind of interesting. I think we're going to take a brief look at the history of the cabin home owned by one of Minnesota's earliest alleged possible serial killers. Oh, my. The often overlooked Otto Plainsfield. Otto Plainsfield. Interesting guy. I'll give you a little background on him here, Fudd. He lived in a cabin home roughly two miles outside the town itself, Tower Rock. Are you familiar with Tower Rock, Fudd? No, I'm not. You know, this is the beauty of, of small-town Minnesota getting up north into cabin country. There's a lot of places I've, I've never been, but I'd like to get to at some point. He bought a cabin, and that cabin had been built in the late 1890s by a Henry Pierce. Pierce and many early Tower Rock residents saw the possibility of the lumber industry bringing railroad interest and the additional possibility of a rail presence turning Tower Rock into a county seat. So lumber did boom in Tower Rock alongside an early interest in the iron ore industry. Bring a, you know, of course. Getting in on the action, digging right. up some iron ore. But the relatively limited amount of iron under the ground in the region seemed to mirror Tower Rock's status as a county seat. Mm. It didn't happen. Didn't happen, Fudd. Sad but true. The title went to another nearby community. Pierce had hopes of becoming somewhat of a local business and or political power in this young town, and as such, he bought a sizable piece of land on the outskirts of the township itself. Well, I'll pick up the uh, narrative here. Yeah, by all means. Henry Pierce's cabin home was somewhat unusual for the time and place in that he built it on a fieldstone foundation with a functioning basement accessed by bulkhead doors to the outside. Pierce, it is said, was scoffed at for his insistence on a basement, as he was also scoffed at for the placement of his cabin. The burgeoning townsfolk of Tower Rock felt that Pierce had built too far from town for a man with lofty political plans. It would turn out that the townsfolk were correct. Pierce never truly rose to any prominence in Tower Rock. He and his wife lived in Tower Rock until the Pierces moved further west and left Minnesota altogether around the time of 1915. Shortly thereafter, the property was bought by bachelor iron worker Otto Plainsfield. Plainsfield moved into the cabin home and let it be known that he was open for business as a blacksmith and metal worker, with a penchant for knife and tool making as well as sharpening. He began to develop the reputation as a bit of an anti-social recluse, rarely coming into town other than for provisions or gasoline. People did go out to see Plainsfield if they needed work done that couldn't be done by others around the community. Otto was gruff and didn't win much business on the basis of his personality. Tower Rock locals went to Otto when they had basically run out of options. Aside from Plainfield's stoic nature and somewhat off-putting personality, locals had no reason to think he was anything more than a regional eccentric, maybe somewhat of a crank. Little did they know that their neighbor from beyond the edge of town was quite likely one of the North Star State's earliest serial killers. Well, our story begins in about 1930, with Otto Plainsfield already somewhat of a local legend. He was an uncommon sight in town, and he appeared to locals to have stepped out of the turn of the century. Plainsfield was definitely a less-is-more kind of homeowner. Upon moving into the Pierce Cabin home, Otto did almost nothing to improve the place. Locals were surprised to learn that Plainsfield had purchased a car. Jokes about horseless carriages were plentiful when this was uh, learned by the townsfolk. He bought a car. Strange and unusual for this. One of those newfangled things. Crazy, crazy idea. But uh, as for the cabin, paint or new shingles were of no interest to Plainsfield. The car sat in the dirt driveway. No garage was built or apparently ever considered by Plainsfield. Those who stepped inside the cabin noted that it was somewhat unnerving experience as nothing had apparently been updated since the Pierces moved out in 1915. Now for the unfolding of events that would lead to uh, Otto Plainsfield's eventual troubles. September 5th to 8th, 1932, youngster Emil Copy. Is that how you say that? Emil Copy. 
Amyl Twelve year old Amyl Kalpi, yes. Disappears out rounding up the livestock in the late afternoon. An extensive search over three days comes up with nothing. Although Copy's scarf and one of his work shoes is eventually found on the banks of the Whitewater Creek. As the creek empties into the fast-moving Ironwood River, Emil Copy is presumed drowned. Drowned. Gone. April 10th, 1931. Gladys Turnblad, who's 35 years old, is hit by a hit-and-run driver. A prolonged dry spell creates an extremely dry and hard-packed road surface that doesn't offer the police effective tracks to follow. Turnblad is basically dead upon contact, but is taken to Glenville Regional Hospital, where she dies on April 11th. The lack of poor road conditions causes many to wonder why the driver lost control and hit Turnblad. Turnblad's grave would be one that investigators would later discover has been disinterred. Uh-huh. Dug up. Somebody's been messing with Gladys's grave. Mm. Oh no. What's next? Sounds a little What's geesh. next, bud? What happens? What happens next? On August 2nd, 1933, Janet Ackerson, 41, goes missing. Among her daily chores listed... A trip to Peterson's Super Valley for groceries, stop by Tower Rock Hardware for knife sharpening, and uh, Tower DX to fill the tank. Of confusion for investigators, Tower Rock Hardware was closed on the 2nd, as the owner and shopminder, Ted Opdahl, is that right? Opdahl, I think. Ted Opdahl. Ted Opdahl. Was visiting his daughter in Minneapolis. She had just had a baby. Where this disappearance gets a bit convoluted is that many locals knew that if knife sharpening or metalwork needed to be done, Otto Plainsfield was an option. He was an unusual and off-putting individual, but had the skills and tools to do the ironwork. Hmm. All right. Well, that brings us then to March 22, 1933. Trudy McNally, a 17-year-old, does not come home after her shift at the Rock Hop Drive-In. Trudy's family lived far enough away away from town to require Trudy to drive. As a farm kid, Trudy was used to driving all kinds of machines, and a car was no stretch for her. The McNally family was quite busy and was more than willing to to let Trudy drive herself to work. When the McNally family's second car was found on the 25th, off the road and on a dirt siding that meandered off into the woods, people began to talk. There were now four unaccounted for disappearances in and around the Tower Rock area in as many years. Like the other mysterious disappearances, Trudy McNally's body was never found. And then on November 3rd, 1934, Marion Albertson is reported missing after not having been seen for several weeks. Concerned neighbors eventually realize she is not in her home. No one around town has seen her or talked to her. A search is held that lasts roughly one week. The only thing discovered is a jimmied lock that has been hastily and somewhat poorly repaired. Nothing else seems out of order. She never turns up. Local law enforcement begins to realize that something's not right in and around Tower Rock. More in-depth detective work is done with no results. Help is brought in from larger communities. It is at this point that Otto Plainsfield starts to become a serious suspect in the many disappearances. Plainsfield is taken into custody on November 14th, and his belligerent behavior raises police concern. A search warrant is obtained, and his cabin home on the outskirts of Tower Rock is searched. The front grille and bumper of his car show signs of having bodywork repair marks, where the fender has clearly been dented and the grille work bent. The bodywork has the look of the amateur about it, and it was clearly done in the near past. His closets include a few articles of clothing that do not belong in the closets of a late middle-aged single man. An adult woman's winter coat, a young boy's leather boot, a young girl's sweater. Locals begin to identify the clothing as those belonging to the vanished or missing people. Plainsfield now becomes obstinately silent during questioning. Somehow an officer finds a section of Plainsfield's property that appears to have been disturbed, but repaired with shovel and rake. Upon digging it up, officers discover bone segments and fragments. This leads to more digging. More of these pits are found around Plainsfield's cabin. The remains are bones only and cut very small. No clothes or personal items are recovered, other than the clothing items found in Otto's closets. Plainsfield is now the chief suspect in the several disappearances around the area, and charges are formally drawn up against him. On a curious tangent, the obstinate and tight-lipped Plainsfield reportedly begins asking jail guards to, quote, make it stop, unquote. 
with Officer Mal Nesbitt stating that Plainsfield had yelled, make them stop, at least once during his incarceration. Who or what they were remains a mystery, and he wouldn't talk with guards or lawyers about it. Now the surprise. Plainsfield is found dead in his cell on November 26, 1934. No poison is in his system. No wounds are on his body. He is dead. The police call the death natural causes, but suggest it may have been caused by excessive anxiety. The digging around the Plainsfield cabin begins in earnest, and the cabin is sealed off as a potential crime scene. Roughly two weeks are devoted to the cabin and the grounds. Eventually, seven medium-depth pits are found in the yard, each filled with human bones cut or sawn into very small pieces. No clothing or jewelry is found to aid in identification. This time period is pre-DNA research, so the bone fragments do not do the investigators any good. Plainsfield was alert enough to dispose of the teeth so that dental records could not be accessed. There were stains on the concrete in the basement near the foot-powered grinding wheel. A pair of manacles was also found hidden in drawers on the first floor of the cabin. All told, roughly seven people were probably murdered and or disposed of on the Plainsfield property. One was removed from the grave after burial. Small tokens were kept in the form of victims' clothing. No trial was held as the prime suspect had died in custody. From that time forward, disappearances and curious accidents seemed to cease in the small town of Tower Rock. We'll continue with more about the Otto Plainsfield cabin in just a moment. The Gas Station Podcast Network is proud to announce our newest feature, Cabin Cooking with the Parents, featuring our dear friend, good old Lloyd. From the time it takes you to check your oil and clean your windshield, you can hear recipes and cooking techniques that will all work wonderfully at the lake. Nothing brings out kitchen creativity like cabin trips, and we'll help you relive and recreate these moments via GSPN. Today's Cooking with the Parents recipe, Celebration Baked Beans. If your family gatherings and cabin dinners have a tradition of featuring rib-sticking fare, these baked beans are for you. You can soak the various dried beans, or you can start with a can of cooked beans. So what do we need? Begin with two cans of standard baked beans, your favorite brand. And to this, a cup of barbecue sauce, three quarters of a cup of brown sugar, half a cup of molasses, several tablespoons of yellow mustard, a chopped white onion, a tablespoon of garlic powder, and one can each of butter beans, kidney beans, black beans, navy beans, lima beans, and either a full pound of crisp or crumbled bacon, or a round pound of ground beef. Now cut another pound of bacon into short strips and half cook it. Take the par-cooked bacon and place it on top of the mixed beans and sauce. A whole caboose now goes in a 350 degree oven for roughly one hour, uncovered. When hot and bubbling, remove from the oven, and once cool enough to eat, enjoy. With a collection of beans like these, how can you help but lick your chops and let the thunder roll? Glad to see you still with us. Let's get back to Fudd and Bjorn in cabin country. Once the chill and whispered tales of Otto's events were old hat, the cabin sold two or three times over the course of five years. Stories circulated as to why individuals who bought the place didn't stay on. The requisite horror stories became the mainstay. The fact that it was a rustic cabin home with bare-bones amenities may not have helped either. As is often the case with properties on the fringes of small towns, the Plainsfield cabin was not torn down. On the contrary, over the years, it became and continues to be a local magnet for those keen on ghosts and spooky stories. Not unlike some of Minnesota's favorite haunted houses, the relatively beat up old Otto Plainsfield cabin gets visited somewhat frequently. For decades, the long dirt road through the trees was a journey for teenage thrill seekers. Now the town of Tower Rock is happy to accommodate this apparent boom of paranormal researchers but asks parties to apply for a permit from the Chamber of Commerce before setting up shop in the cabin. The power hasn't been live for decades. Strangely enough, the cabin's bare bulbs have been reported to occasionally light up on their own. That said, investigators must bring their own light unless they prefer to work in total darkness. 
Some vandalism to the place has occurred over the years, but has been repaired with the renewed interest in paranormal research. The grinding wheel and many of the cutting implements and ironwork pieces are still in the basement. The main floor is spartan and creepy. Threadbare old rag rugs cover sections of worn plank floors. Doors to the bedroom, the closets, and the kitchen hang in door frames that are no longer completely true. Squeaks of various tones are common. In some places, the paint is faded or peeled off the wallboards. The old kitchen range used in the cabin was a wood burner. As Plainfield died in 1934, no modernizations were undertaken and wood burning kitchen ranges were quite common at the time. The two or three later owners did not update the kitchen or cabin as one didn't stay in the structure and the previous two didn't stay long enough in the structure. Every remote location with a history of death is immediately a favorite with spirit hunters. The Plainsfield cabin fits that bill. What has allegedly been seen, heard, or sensed in Otto's place? A. The requisite sense of unease is allegedly palpable. This is hardly surprising given the length of time the cabin has stood empty and its lack of light. Then there is the cabin's semi-decrepit state. We clearly can't overlook the discoveries of human remains in several pits around the cabin. Investigators will tell you that most haunted sites have a legend that generates this type of sensation in anyone that would visit the place. This can be difficult to work past if investigators are looking for genuine or original events. B. Past legends also revolve around the accounts of second buyer Truman Volk. Mr. Volk laughed off warnings from some of Tower Rock's finest and bit on a decent property at a fair price. Volk made it known to those interested that the Plainsfield cabin would become a hobby place that Volk would slowly improve and also use as a weekend base for hunter friends. The cabin was, or is, out on the fringes beyond town of Tower Rock. Volk also suggested that it would be a great place to host poker games and sample some libations. While Truman Volk said little about what transpired while he worked on the Plainsfield cabin, one thing remains constant. After four weeks of foundation work and electrical upgrades, Volk put the cabin back on the market and moved his things out. He did not return. Volk's responses to inquiries about the sale were brief. I've decided to sell, and that's that. Locals began to surmise what may have created his abrupt change of mind. The tales of spirits at unrest began to take shape. See, as can be imagined, the paranormal research interest has always been present. The cabin's backstory is vague, but murder and dismemberment of innocence seems to be a solid part of it. Any ghost hunting group will tell you that those types of events are powerful harbingers of spirit activity. While there was some interest in the 1950s through the 1990s, the renewed ghost hunting boom of the 2000s brought many groups to Tower Rock and Auto Plainsfield's cabin site. To a group, they all claimed success, with a few organizations asking the town council for extended time at the cabin, weeks or even months. Tower Rock now got to deal with the pros and cons of being a destination for paranormal groups. They've tended to decide that any attention is good attention and have generally okayed group requests to visit for various lengths of time. D. Inside the cabin. Electrical phenomena. As said earlier, Plainsfield had rudimentary electrical setups inside his home. Knob and tube wiring led to bare bulbs and most basic of fixture bases. Wires were stapled to the cabin's bare joists. While there is no power going into the cabin, many groups have reported occasional flickering of light from the cabin's fixtures. The light is intermittent and seems to either statically blink and flicker or stay on at dim half-power for varying periods of time. What makes this particularly interesting to researchers is that several of the fixtures have no bulbs. This activity has sent several groups out of the cabin. E. Auditory Phenomena some researchers claim to hear thumping footsteps in the cabin. Other sounds heard have included the sound of the sharpening wheel turning and or the sound of metal on stone, as though tools are being sharpened. There is also the sound of heavy objects being dragged across the floors, this being heard most frequently if researchers are in the basement. A group from eastern South Dakota reported hearing the sounds of footsteps on the basement stairs, accompanied by the thumping of what they imagined to be a heavy object being dragged down the stairs. Use of the standard investigative electronic devices gave some interesting results to the multiple groups in forms of odd sounds, partial phrases, and recordable word responses. Locals who would discuss the Plainsfield cabin mentioned the frequently reported sound of wailing, screaming, 
or crying that seemed to come from the property. These sounds have been reported from those who spend time near or on the property. The sounds are less common during daylight hours, prompting skeptics to ask if darkness and imagination create such situations. F. Visual Phenomena There have been many reports of strange sightings at the Plainsfield cabin over the years. As early as the early 1930s, when all the tragedies occurred, locals spoke of seeing shadows moving across the property in the dark hours. The odd comments and yells from the Plainsfield himself during his jail time offered true believers proof of a commonly held belief among paranormal researchers. Plainsfield himself was being tormented by the spirits of his victims after their deaths. A Minneapolis-based group recorded images of an all-nighter of what appears to be blurry shapes coming up from the ground outside the cabin. They claim the sights generally line up with the burial pits. A digital image caught by a group from La Crosse, Wisconsin appears to show two shadowy hands emerging from the ground in front of the cabin near the edge of the woods. They also caught an image of what they claim to be Plainsfield himself, sitting on the cabin's front steps in a position that suggests a man with his hands over his face. That particular image was also surrounded by balls of light, lights which the group's members swear was not present as they sat vigil outside the property. The seemingly omnipresent light orbs phenomenon is present in just about every group's digital photographs inside the structure. Some of the light anomalies do seem to have vaguely human-shaped images, while most are balls of light, either hovering or creating motion streaks across the imagery. So why, after all of this, hasn't the town of Tower Rock torn down the cabin? Why hasn't the Tower Rock public helped the public forget this morbid phase of their history? Many towns and cities that have been home to murderers, psychotics, and serial killers have done their best to let that history fade into the horizon. This is a question that has yet to be answered. As suggested earlier in the story, Tower Rock is a small town in a northern setting. It is a town of hunters and anglers and outdoor-minded folks. It was a logging town, and for a while a mining town, and a place where independent farmers might try to eke out a saleable crop on whatever rocky, shallow dirt they could plow. In parts of the country like Tower Rock, things are often left to disappear on their own. In the late 30s and early 40s, real efforts were made to sell the place. It would become a home, and it would become a hunting shack. But none of these ideas stuck, and those who owned the place left it soon after taking possession. Curious researchers have asked why the Cowpey, Ackerson, or McNally families didn't ensure the place was destroyed. Again, an excellent question. Perhaps that's just one eccentricity of this town called Tower Rock. They've let the cabin stand. It has been there for a very long time. It has remained a favored haunt of paranormal research groups and thrill-seeking young people. Whatever the reason or reasons, the Otto Plainsfield cabin is a morbid reminder of a curious aspect of the human condition. We are both fascinated and thrilled by the horrible and the macabre. Like an accident on the freeway, we have to turn our heads and stare at the Villisca Murder House, 112 Ocean Avenue, the Spawn Ranch, the Lizzie Borden residence, or Salem Village. Or right here in Minnesota, the Glensheen Mansion, the Wabashaw Caves, the Soap Factory, the William H. Irvin, the Griggs Mansion, Four Paws Restaurant, or the Plainsfield Cabin. These places are the stuff of campfire tales that keep people awake at night. Places that can make your hair stand on end or cause one to ask for a nightlight. We appear to love this kind of stuff. Ghost tours and paranormal shows continue to be big business live, online, and on cable channels. These things allow for thrills while not being too dangerous or too threatening. Whatever the reason, the Plainsfield cabin continues to attract visitors, and not always visitors who are after white-tailed deer or northern pike. Well, that was creepy. I mean... Unusual. There are many stories like that you can find in, even in cabin country. Cabin country itself has some curious secrets it can, curious can share tales. every now and again. And, of course, there are countless shows now that uh, take in their cameras and and it's handheld and Recording all creepy. And, and digital recorders. Let's get some EVP work done here. Let's see if anybody responds to questions. And right. All that kind of stuff. It's easy, like, in the daylight or when you're at home and everything is warm and cozy and familiar. And, well, yeah, that's, that's nice for a Halloween story. But you know, try to stay in a place like that. Right. 
you know, especially with just yourself or one or two friends. It's we'll, we'll leave the hunting rifles by the door and uh, everybody hit the sack. We'll let the fire burn down here and we'll we'll rise up in the morning, have a breakfast and yes, get a good night's sleep. There's a great old suspense old-time radio show. That's one of our favorites, Bjorn. What was that one called? Uh, Tonight, Autolite brings you Mr. Ralph Edwards in Ghost Hunt. You know, this takes place in the late 40s or 50s, this radio show. And sure. A, and a kind of a gabby radio show host uh, challenges himself to stay in a haunted house. Oh, the radio personality. Right. Yeah, the radio right. personality. Smiley guy. Smith. <laughs> stay overnight in the haunted mansion. Your friend Smiley is going to spend the night in a haunted house on a spook hunt. You heard me, a spook hunt in a haunted house. You know, and he goes in it with sort of a good sense of humor, and he's he's recording himself doing as a live he, broadcast for the show, does right it, there from the his overnight at the haunted location. And then weird things start to happen. Right, folks, I'd like you to get a picture of what it's like here. It's very quiet for one thing. I've never been in such a quiet place, and, and it's pretty dark. No light except my flashlight. I wonder how... Get away, you bat! That bat will be the death of me! Smelly bat uh, keeps flying by his head. And (laughs) and then things start happening, and he notices things up in the upper regions of this house, I guess. Right. I I can see a small stain forming right on the ceiling, right right over my head. (gasps) Something ran across my foot just a rat, I think it was. I've always hated rats. A fun yarn. Absolutely. uh, Absolutely. Um, but all these stories remind me of uh, a story I, I did hear that I don't think I found in a book, but it was... Told me, to you directly. Told to me directly. Mistaken. Right. You're... And it, it took place in Barnum, Minnesota. Not far from Duluth. Not far from Duluth, off of 35 there, at a place called a Hanging Horn Village. Hanging Horn Village. I was there doing some video work, actually. And uh, we were in town at the local... Kind of breakfast place. Right, right. Filling our, our bellies with uh, copious amounts of pancakes and eggs and coffee. And the wife of, of the owner of this cafe started telling us about, oh, you're, you're, you're at the Hanging Horn Village. Shooting well, at Hanging Horn. I used, to, I used to own that. Oh, really? And she proceeded to mention that she was previously married to a man who was from England and uh, they owned it for a time together but then he passed away and uh, strange things began to happen when she found this new man in her life Uh, (laughs) not from the new man Uh but from creepy things happening at the Hanging Horn Village now this a little background on the Hanging Horn Village it was an old band camp in fact Prince himself spent a summer at, at the Hanging Horn Village so there were many, many interesting stories about that place. I'd like to like to look them up, and we should maybe do a cabin country show. Just I think it'd be worth it. The Hanging Horn Village, but my re- remembrance of this place, gosh, a good fifteen years ago, was that you know they had stories like one of the log cabins was moved across the lake during the winter, on uh, on these big wooden skis they made, and sure. they probably had house house. <laughs> Horse-drawn, uh, I don't know, carriage of some, house some droppings. kind. House droppings. Look, house droppings. <laughs> Clearly this cabin has moved. It's a house-drawn horse being dragged across the... Anyways, let's get back to the, yes, the story. Yes, indeed. So this woman uh, found a new fella, and okay. they decided to get married in one of the lodges of the Hanging Horn Village. Well, the Springs Eternal, absolutely. And during the ceremony, there was an old... Uh, knick-knack that this woman had it was like a british guard or something or one of those what do you call it with the big black furry hats that sure, the guards sure, the, yeah. the queen's god well it was on the mantle they got married in like in the living area in front of the fireplace right in front of the fireplace and at some point during the ceremony the thing just fell off okay. one of the other things too is that at some point in the middle of the night all of the toilets in each room each guest's room flushed one by one sequentially <laughs> just uh, that, that just seems weird the thing of it is is that she told us her husband from england was a very funny guy he was a jokester a prankster right. okay sure. in his life right and so the things were happening like the soldier falling off the mantelpiece the toilets flushing one by one right sounded very much like this guy's 
sense of humor. So I don't know if she was right. having us on, and regaling us as we slurped down the coffee. And that was fascinating. I, I think I'll follow that up. That would be worth worth some further investigation, I think. Well, I love love those old stories. And this time of year, you know, I, I've always retained my enjoyment of, of Halloween. Now, both of our kids, my two kids and your two, are too old, much too old now for... Right. Enjoying right. Halloween. Mine, mine are just like last year was almost like the last. Maybe this is it. The last hurrah. This year, who knows what? But uh, you know, at fifteen and sixteen, it's kind of like. In fact, the, the adults open the door and they see kids that age, and they're like, "Oh, what are you doing here? We're looking. We want the little cute kids in their costumes, not right. these, not these high schoolers. Come on." The classic, classic story from the father-in-law at one point talking about a neighbor in the old neighborhood. Kind of a crusty old guy, and had a had a round of seventeen and eighteen year old high school seniors show up in costume and trick or treat. And this is, he's standing in the living room handing out candy, and he could, he could hear the neighbor. You guys are getting kind of old for this, aren't you? Shouldn't you be out knocking over gas stations or something? <laughs> oh, come on! He, he said he couldn't help but just start laughing. And his kids were like, "What? Can I just have my candy?" You know? <laughs> Right, we're just knocking you know, over gas stations. My we still goodness. like candy. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, I've got a I've got a high school senior and a college senior, and and yet, if uh, my high school senior or even the college senior should listen into the podcast this particular episode, there might be might be an eyebrow raised. And really, what? How how did that end? <laughs> he died yes. in prison. You know, he was, right. in, he was in jail. He died. Yes. How do we get there, Dad? That's up to you. You got your own car now, kid. Get get crazy, you know. Go figure it out. Go figure it out. There are many small towns, and uh, I'd like to delve more into the spooky stories. Without a doubt. I mean, even off-season. You know, as it it ended here, I mean, the big big heavy hitters from Minnesota's alleged, you know, ghost story past, Four Paws. Right. You know, Duluth, not far from Barnum. You know, the William H. Irvin, the old ore carrier there in, in, at Anchor. You know, mm-hmm. in, in the harbor, and uh, it's a tour. People can tour it, and good Lord, you look out on YouTube, and there's all kinds of, look what we heard while we were in the hull of the William H. Irvin. You know, people will say, well, okay, sure. You know, even near and dear to me, Camp du Nord, and a mm-hmm. uh, place we've been lucky enough to to attend for several years now, and there's a specific location on camp where it's an old, old cabin built long ago, big, you know, 13 people, I think, can stay in it, and and people that work there will even say, oh, we don't say anything about it. But there's a, a commonly held understanding that something's just a little different about that structure. And, and the fact that they don't say anything and people who stay there will still come up and say, how come I'm hearing noises? <laughs> you know, how come I'm seeing shadows? And, okay, well, and, and there's oh. even a character's name, you know. Oh, I, really? I won't, I won't steal their thunder here, but it's, it's interesting how, especially when you're out, you know, on the fringes. And there's something about, here we are, you know, it's not all that late in the afternoon, evening here, and the sun is going down. As soon as you've lost daylight, you know, what is it? Imagination? Right. Or uh, or not. It's it's uh, it's interesting. There's so many places we could go, Fud, to talk to folks, and maybe, well, that, maybe that becomes a... A fall Halloween kind of thing. We uh, we dedicate one one evening's podcast to some some of the yeah, I like the super normal, shall we say, aspects of cabin country because there's a lot out there. There's well, we are we are approaching our close to Halloween trip here. This is true. We have invited Buck Fielding this time. We'll That's see if right. he's able to go. Master fisherman and occasional guide, Buck Fielding. Hoping to be joined by him. If he can join us, that'd be excellent. And uh, the reason I bring that up is that uh, you had come up with the idea of maybe reaching out to one of the more popular Gull Lake resorts out there. That without a doubt. actually has a creepy story, I think, doesn't it? Uh, Beautiful resort, long and storied history. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggies. And uh, I was there a few years ago for a, an event, a training event for work. And multiple groups had come together from all over the Midwest. And uh, one of the gentlemen there had this interesting briefcase full of stuff that he opened at one point. And I'm, I'm thinking, that's a lot of digital equipment you've got mm-hmm. for something that 
this this training event doesn't really require an EVP meter, you know, <laughs> right. a recorder, and and uh, all these different kind of crazy electrical devices I'd never actually seen before. And I said, "What's what's going on here?" And he said, "Well, this place is famous, hmm. and uh, I'm 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 an investigator." And I said, "By investigator, you mean that's right, that's right, <laughs> paranormal. I'm interested, and I've gotten the okay to to prowl around a little bit here after after the." events are done for the day and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look a little bit. I followed him around for a while because I'm I'm curious. I I, I was I bit. I was like, sure, let's see. You know, reel me in, you got me. Right. And uh it's funny how that works, man. The human the human mind is a powerful thing. And uh I, I can't say we actually saw anything in the time I stayed with him, but I will say that about forty five minutes deep into hanging around in darkened rooms with just these little tiny electric light you know, mm-hmm. devices, uh, questions being asked, sitting quiet. I was like, I'm going to go talk with some other people now. <laughs> this, is, this has been a lot of fun and good luck, and I hope you find what you're looking for, or perhaps I don't want you to find what you're looking for, but uh, right. so we've got another night or two here. But uh, no, it's interesting. So, I mean, that that could be kind of fun. Buck Fielding himself talked about a, a time up in oh yeah in Duluth in and, our and, uh, first show with him. Yeah, staying at a place where there up were up no, in Superior noises. North that Shore. He, he thought he was unique, and oh my gosh, what am I hearing? And then lo and behold, the next morning, everybody in the in the rental spot had 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 an interesting evening. So, yeah. and you so, know what else comes to mind now that you've mentioned all the digital gear that right. people like to. In fact, I think there are even apps on phones. Oh, absolutely. Can, without a doubt. Uh, but I do remember on another video project in Nebraska. Nebraska. I was, I was visiting oh, a... I, well, I, I I did a lot of uh, Native American, uh, specifically with the Dakota uh, tribe, uh, various historical documentary stuff I've done. Right. We, we found ourselves in Nebraska, and I met up with a, a Dakota man who, you know, after talking with him about this, you know, history, history piece, he... He showed me his little digital thing. It wasn't just an app on a phone. It was a you know pretty okay, serious looking sure. thing, like and, a Frank's box. And he or said, something. "Yeah, this is one of my other hobbies." And uh, this you know lodge we're sitting in right here, it's got some pretty interesting readings on it. Well, and then he proceeded to tell me though that there is a, an old oak tree out right by where I parked. You know, <laughs> he said, "Yeah, this old oak tree. There were a long time ago. This building was used, uh, and it, it housed these." young Native American girls aged, you know, like from six up to in the teens. Sure, sure. And he said that uh, like between four and six of them had hung themselves one night Ooh. on this tree. Oh my. And so he always gets readings on around this property. And this was a winter's night I was there. So I was already oh, cold yeah. and Dark. it was crisp and I seem to remember the moonlight of course is out. And of course. So, you know, re- regardless of, if you have a digital thing to tell you that there's energy here right just hearing that these young girls hung themselves on this Ugh, tree was yeah, enough to wow freak me out so without a doubt no thank you but i now haven't you like i, I thought once on a uh, you, you were gifted by uh, a sister that you got to t- make a tour of a, of a haunted place true or? enough yeah the infamous uh, casa grande arizona domes ah. sort of and, built as a could be would be like acoustic testing center i don't even remember to tell you the truth but i'm somebody who's much more knowledgeable in this kind of material but i mean you know it's appeared on a few of these cable tv shows mm-hmm. they've done their their evenings work at these domes and and they're they're kind of a concrete I mean, it looks like a spaceship has landed out in the desert mm-hmm. very very strange and and it's sort of off limits you're not really supposed to be out there that said, of course, with the signs and the wire and the barbed wire and the whole bit, you know, it's a favorite hangout for all kinds of people that right. probably shouldn't be there. And <laughs> I'm going to guess aren't necessarily up to making this a better place, you know, <laughs> um, lots of graffiti, lots of crazy stuff and, and just strange. I mean, you walk inside these things and they're just these huge, it's a dome. I mean, you feel like you're inside a small, like, welcome to the Metrodome, except it's made out of cement and mm-hmm. pieces of the ceiling have fallen and, and, wow. and shattered bits all over the place and um, built like what time do you uh, you know I want to say it was built in the 60s maybe the 70s oh, okay. I'm not sure I mean it, it what it was intended for never was seen through and, and it never was actually used but kind of began to almost like upon completion 
began mm-hmm. to deteriorate almost immediately and, and uh, was fenced off and, you know, no trespassing and the whole bit. And, and, and yet, a very strange place. And I, I, I must admit, Fudd, I had one of my goofy little apps I downloaded on my phone of, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it would register words that were supposedly being said. Right. And of course, the skeptic in me is thinking, right, so somebody's sitting there with just this automatic word generator just firing stuff off at random. <laughs> but it was odd, and, and it was... That was kind of strange, and some of the things that came back onto my phone were a little weird. Uh, weird enough to make one of my sisters say, well, I'm done with this. I'm going to go wait by the car. <laughs> uh, and then, then, then Casa Grande itself is a is a interesting, you know desert town from way back prior to white settlers coming in it was it was an indigenous people's city basically mm-hmm. and and casa grande big house well there's this huge adobe construction there that was built hundreds of years ago by by first nations people who would set up a, a village and mm. um and i'll be darned if that thing didn't start going off walking through there wow. you know all kinds of weird words and and stuff that made sense to its history you know right to the history of the structure things that were showing up on my phone and i i just turned it off because it was starting to bother me yeah <laughs> like, this is this is enough i don't i okay yeah you're you're still here okay <laughs> sorry i'm hanging out in your house you know however many families lived in it was huge it was massive and uh, you couldn't really walk around in it um it was decrepit enough you know it'd fallen apart over the centuries yeah to to try to move up old adobe steps and things you you might have been in for a fall you didn't want or anything so it's 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 but i mean it's a national park it's Hmm. it's run by the park service you know and it was just interesting really really interesting I, i i wonder you know i don't think i still have that app on my phone but if i were to make a tour of the glen sheen mansion oh yeah speaking of duluth you know what is it about duluth and yeah, on the big lake, you know, and all the iron ore and all the mining, and all the stuff that went on, all the history, all the lumbering, all the shipping that came through. I'd be curious to see what what, what came of it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of places to go, a lot of things to see, a lot of things we could definitely look into. And it's a rich field for investigation. But uh, yeah, some of my some of my better friends, and including my spouse, was sort of like. Oh, I hope you're not going to take cabin country in that direction. Come on. <laughs> There's enough of that garbage on TV. And like, hey, you know, this story was mean? interesting enough that we gave it time. Yeah. And uh, and there's others out there, you know. And uh, Right. It's curious. I mean, I would love to have had that app on my phone running when you and I found that spot in Cross Lake. Oh, yes. You know, where there's just a, there's a state placard there saying, you know, it's a historical site here on the, on the frozen waters of this back bay in Cross Lake was a battle between the Ojibwe and the Dakota people right. over hunting lands and, and regional, you know, ownership. This You're on the wrong land and, and a lot of people died right here. That kind of stuff's just fascinating. So Not to mention a couple of years ago when we made our October trip to the cabin, and it right. actually snowed early. Yeah, we were driving through it was a snowstorm. It was a cold trip, but wow. we also went to another area that's kind of a, now a, a park, right? It was yeah, the, yeah. What was the iron The Milford Mine. Milford Mine. You bet. That's another one. You bet. Kind of a creepy, how many, 40 men lost their lives in that? Something uh, along that lines, yeah. The, it, the, it, it's almost like being a Yellowstone. You can walk around the areas and see where the mine houses were for the miners and this is where the actual shaft was and they've got that of course all sealed off and everything but foundations for the old buildings but yeah I mean, walking along that stretch they had like the name of the miners who'd passed yeah. in that disaster you know inscribed on on the dock boards as you walked right that was in daylight in gray snowy daylight that was sobering um i can't imagine what it's like <laughs> At night, part of that Cuyuna Range, you know, part of those open pit, yeah. open pit mines that are now lakes. Todd right. Matthews and his diving and all yeah, that exactly. kind of stuff. I, I, you know, again, mines are incredible things, and I can't help. We kind of go back to talking with Todd in the Minnesota Diving School. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's such beautiful, clear water, and it's so cold. and it's, you, you can see, and the fish are everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, but what else is down there, man? Yeah. Old mines, you know? And, 
you hear about these stories, that Milford mine, I mean, they got too close to a, a lake bed and went right through. Filled and up the mine in minutes? In minutes. Yeah. I mean, they, they, the reports I've read, survivors said it sounded like a tornado was rushing through the mine shaft. Wow. Lights just in the carbide miners' lamps just going out. Yeah. Pitch black and mud and water just gushing, you know, climbing for dear life and trying to get out of there. Yeah, I can't think of a worse situation. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I probably could if given time, but I mean that sounds awful. That's yeah. You know, I'm not a big fan of enclosed dark spaces far underground. And, yeah, and and uh, well, being deep, deep oof. in a pit, scary enough, then being instantly flooded with water, it's the worst imaginable oh, thing I, I can I think of. Can't imagine. I mean, you know, and for those curious, I mean that that mine disaster is in just about every book. You know, oh, I suppose written locally about just extra extra sensory paranormal kind of Minnesota spots. You know, ooh, this is awful. And yeah. there's stuff still still resonates. You know, Milford Mine. You'll you'll find it. You know, it's uh, it's a classic tale. I wonder if our listeners would mind if we maybe even with Buck Fielding we went up there this October and we uh, maybe re. Instated one of those apps, yeah, it's yeah just for the fun of it, just, just, to, just to see. Let's see what let's see what the phone is picking up here in words, right? right. Or maybe maybe it would be. I mean, we don't want to make light of it either. It's it's kind of a. Well, it's a somber somber situation, yeah, it's and, a, and, and and obviously we honor those families that lost yeah, people. It's, right. it's, it's a horrible horrible thing, and a lot of young people. Yeah, a lot of young men, you know, lost their lives there, and a lot of young family men lost their lives there. Families losing key members of their families but uh it would be interesting and at the same time it might debunk a couple things if i'm getting things like super value gasoline <laughs> wankle rotary engine what I, okay well so much for that uh for some reason it's saying fern yeah i, I don't see any fr- whatever um, mm. but but interesting you know curious and uh you know we interviewed amy swenson the town again, Fudd. Remind me. We uh, Ironton? Down... Well, Crosby, Ironton. So it was probably Ironton. Yeah. You know, Amy's maybe listening now and going, oh, come on. You talked to me. You were right wow. here. <laughs> 54. That's all I'm going to say. 54 years of age. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's, it's it, in one ear, out the other. But she talked about that region as being a place of, of uh, solemnity, perhaps. Yeah. You know, very, yeah. very, you, you, you're out there and you know something happened. At the very least, you know. And it doesn't hurt that the signage is all over the place telling yeah. you that. But she kind of was of the mind that even if you hadn't seen any of that or read any of that, there's 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 a somber kind of feel about the place where right. something's not 100% right. And, right. Uh, yeah, I, I would not at all balk at the idea of hauling Buck Fielding out there to see what, uh, what, he, would, what he would think about it and maybe... Maybe the, the listenership would enjoy it as well. Perhaps. Hard perhaps. to say. Hard well, to it's say. all part of a special Halloween episode Absolutely. Here. Well, I know this much, Fudd. I'm not going in the haunted Irvin. No? They do a Halloween ghost tour of, oh. the, of, the, of the ore carrier and, and done up kind of like a, a, a good old-fashioned... Uh, you know, I'd mentioned it earlier in the, in the kind of outro of that story, Soap Factory, you know, famous Minneapolis former soap plant. You know, okay, and uh, now very much a, a denizen of artists and musicians, kind of a studio space, uh, right down by the river, you know, right in, in kind of the St. Anthony Falls area. But uh, they do an annual haunted house where you kind of have to sign a waiver before you go through it. There's, oh, some, really? there's some really creative minds trying to really get you, and uh, uh, they're good at it. Right. We'll put it that way. And I, I don't think the Irvin's any different. I'm like, you know, the idea of a huge empty. Iron ore carrier still sitting in the water in the dark is enough to make me say I'll I'll enjoy that from a distance, you know. Well, I'm not a, that big of a f- fan of that either. I mean, that's that's what they make most use of what I call the Zoics effect, right? Right. Where right. it's all about just basically saying boo and scaring the heck out of you as yep. much as you can. Yep. And of course, the the setting is what it's all about. But I'm. I'm more interested, you know, you don't need any of that to be creeped out by an area that just has a somber feel because right. of what may have happened there. So, 
I mean, that's, but, but that's part of Halloween and that's fun. And like I mentioned, I think way back in an early podcast that I did put on, uh, a haunted house in my, my parents' garage, you know, when I was 11, young fella, 12 and right. led people through and there wasn't many of us jumping out at people, but we had them feel things and, oh, oh yes. look at that mummy entombed over there at the beam of my flashlight and. <laughs> and of course, spooky sounds on a turntable. Yes. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. That, that, that's scary stuff. Paul Bunyan Land, well, they do have a haunted house. I that, remember it. That, yeah. Uh, they used to run it as part of their daily Attraction. running of the park. Yeah. You bet. But now they just save it for a special October run. That okay. would be, that would be, well, again, I don't care to go and stand in line and. If they do that this year, and um, have people grab your ankles, walk around, and <laughs> yeah, right. Ah! Well, you know, I I enjoyed the uh, elementary school version of that with my kids a few years back, sure. where they 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 like to set up the school every Halloween for a oh, spooky yes. it's a elementary school party. tradition. So uh, that that's fine enough. But uh, if you want to see if your heart will stop beating, go ahead. Not me. Well, and there's probably a, a number of cabin country listeners too saying, you know, you want to debate whether or not you're going to tour the Glen Sheen. You go right ahead. It's it's the time of year where I'm going to late afternoon. I'm going to walk the woods with a with a 12 gauge. It's upland bird season. It's yeah. uh It's uh, it's a time where you. I'll I'll scare you one better. I'll get up at two in the morning and go sit in a tree stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And wait, you right. know, and and maybe maybe. The freezer will be filled again, you know. I... Well, it, that makes me think, too, about how often uh, dark woods are used in movies and television to be created. Like trees, for instance, right. you know. I mean, I'll have to admit that when you're out, if you're out by yourself in the darkness of night in the woods, it is it is kind of creepy. More in the sense of, you know, nocturnal animals are are about and they're pro- they probably can see you and you can't see them and that's a different kind of scariness but right. when television shows try to use like you know there's this creepy music and they're panning up this bare crooked old oak and that's supposed to be scary but it's a tree it's beautiful <laughs> you know I, I don't know I the might... horror of the red oak oh who knows those Acorns are very tannic and bitter if you try to roast and eat them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Some say the wood smells kind of off when you burn it. Oh, no. My God. Say it's not so. Yes, indeed. It even crackles. Oh, no. Yeah. No. So, yeah, if you're a hunter, you're not scared to be out in the woods. You, not at all. It's like it brings you a peace. My dad, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but uh, he was a lifelong, he is a lifelong hunter. He just doesn't hunt as often as he used to. Sure. Still very healthy and alive. But, uh, a bow hunter. Correct? A bow hunter. Right. Uh, in the fall, he likes to duck hunt as well. But a bow and arrow deer hunter. Yep. And he's, I think he's killed a total of two deer. Okay. So he's, it's not about going out and killing something. Right. And, um, and providing a lot of venison sticks for your family. Right. For, for him, I mean... I enjoy venison sticks or just venison steaks. I, I like that very much. And I'm sure Mike Leon every year. Oh, yes. He's shared oh, yes. how he loves many recipes. To That's great. But for my dad, it was just being in the woods. He likes to go out before dawn and watch the woods come alive. Awake. Kind of the holistic experience of the yeah. whole thing. Right? Yeah. And, right. and believe me, my dad is not a new agey kind of touchy-feely <laughs> kind of guy. Having you met know. your father, I, I will right. second that. But he does, he does sort of uh, just sort of honor, you know, the being in the woods. And right. Even likes to think of departed ones coming back as butterflies or deer, that kind of thing. So Sure. So I've always respected that about my dad. You know, he's a, he's a down-to-earth, common-sense kind of guy, an everyday kind of guy. But uh, his appreciation for, for the woods and, and all, the, everything is was a great influence on me. So Sure. Absolutely. I didn't know that this uh, Halloween was also going to be a Father's Day special. But, uh, <laughs> happy <laughs> Halloween, Dad. <laughs> well, I should e- even mention, too, as long as I'm gabbing, that my dad has always been a champion of Halloween. He's There was a time when I lived with him, and it was... Big was favorite, yes. ...single, and I was single, and not 
able to afford my own place. I was hanging out, living with my dad for a few years, and he would still decorate the house. Absolutely. Put the orange and green bulbs out and the jack-o'-lanterns and everything, and and he just always liked it. Enjoyed so. seeing what the neighborhood kids were dressed up as. Oh, look right. at you. What do we got here? Right. Although he might Mutant have been turtle. one of those cranky guys that, oh, they're getting a little old. I don't know why they have to come around here. Come on. For Pete's sake, get a job. Well, we're going to take one more break for a special cabin country literary moment featuring a portion of Edgar Allan Poe's terrifying story, The Fall of the Hunting Shack of Usher. During the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens and flights of Canada geese formed right angles under the selfsame clouds, I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country and at length found myself, as the shades of the evening drew on, within view of the melancholy cabin of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom pervaded my spirit. I say insufferable, for the feeling was unrelieved by any of the half-pleasurable, because poetic sentiment with which the mind usually receives even the sternest natural images of moldering duck boats or ancient submerged waterfowl blinds. I looked upon the scene before me, upon the decrepit hunting shack and the simple landscape features of the domain, upon the bleak walls, upon the vacant eyeless windows, upon a few rank sedges and leafless sumac groves, and upon a few white trunks of decayed red pines, with an utter depression of soul which I can compare to no earthly sensation more properly than to the after-dream of the cabin-goer upon returning home. The bitterest lapse into everyday life. The hideous dropping off of the veil. There was an iciness, a sinking, a sickening of the heart, an unredeemed dreariness of thought which no goading of the imagination could torture into fever dreams of flushing grouse. What was it, I paused to think, what was it that so unnerved me in the contemplation of the shack of Usher? It was a mystery all unsoluble. Nor could I grapple with the shadowy fancies that crowded upon me as I pondered. I was forced to fall back upon the unsatisfactory conclusion that while, beyond doubt, there are combinations of very simple natural objects which have the power thus affecting us, still the analysis of this power lies among considerations beyond our depths. It was possible, I reflected, that a mere different arrangement of the particulars of the scene, of the details of the picture, would be sufficient to modify or perhaps to annihilate its capacity for sorrowful impression. And acting upon this idea, I reined my horse to the precipitous bank of the swirling eddies of the riverbank that lay in slow-moving luster by the dwelling and gazed down, with a shudder even more thrilling than before, upon the leafless and deer-gnawed images of the gray sedge, the ghastly skeletal remains of bass on the riverbed, and the vacant and lidless stare of the slowly submerging snapping turtle near the moldy end planks of the dock. Nevertheless, in this retreat of gloom, I now proposed to myself a sojourn of some weeks. Its proprietor, Roddy 12-Gauge Usher, had been one of my outdoors companions in my boyhood, but many years had elapsed since our last partridge hunt. A letter, however, had lately reached me in a distant part of the country, a letter from him, which in its wildly importunate nature had admitted of no other than a personal reply. The message gave evidence of nervous agitation. The writer spoke of acute spiritual illness, of an inactivity disorder which oppressed him, and an earnest desire to see me, as his best and indeed his only hunting and angling friend, with a view of attempting by cheerfulness of my society and the flutter of a golden aspen leaf, some alleviation of his malady. It was the manner in which all this and much more was said. It was the apparent heart that went with his grouse-stalking request, which allowed me no room for hesitation. I packed shot shell on my semi-automatic 12-gauge Remington, and accordingly obeyed forthwith what I still considered a very singular summons. Now back to Bjorn Lloydstead and Flood Flood. In Cabin Country. 
Well, anyways, it's been a fun Halloween uh, episode. It has. It has. And um, thanks for hanging with us. I hope you're not too freaked out over the right, Plains right. Field story. Sing, but, but I thought you were going to talk about fishing. <laughs> well, there's going to be plenty of time for that. No right. worries. No worries. Just taking a, a seasonal sidestep down a, a route we very rarely take. Yes. And uh, we'll be more than happy to refill our coffee mugs and talk all things cabin country. Uh our next episode won't be long after that that we'll be talking about snow, snow removal. And, oh my goodness! Now that is scary. People. I uh, that's yeah, gonna no, that's actually right truly there. horrifying. But uh, some are saying, "Thank goodness, finally, <laughs> finally!" That cousin of mine who shoots everything and eats it. That's 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 what know, he's looking unlike forward your to. father, my this cousin of mine. It's this is the time to restock the larder, and, <laughs> and we'll, he'll shoot anything, and you can be guaranteed it will get eaten. And, he says, snow is great because now I can track them. Uh-huh. Now I know where they're at. As a young man trying to keep up after him with a 12-gauge shotgun, that was not an easy task. I'll mm-hmm. say that much. Seemed to love the swamps. Let's go right through the swamp. I'm like, dude, I'm five foot six. <laughs> I can't see over the cattails. Branches whipping in your face. That's right. That's right. Seven pounds of mud on each Sorel boot. Absolutely. Enjoy that autumn season. Enjoy the... The cooler evenings and the colors coming back to life, the apple orchards, the whole bit. And uh, thanks for joining us. We'll, we'll listen for that slamming of the, the cabin door, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.